You are tuned in to the Jackson Hole Connection, sharing fascinating stories of people connected to Jackson Hole. I'm grateful for each of you tuning in today, and support for this podcast comes from Teton County Solid Waste and Recycling, bringing the Jackson Hole community residential and commercial food waste composting options. Call 307-733-7678 for more information. The Jackson Hole Historical Society and Museum, connecting people to local history by sharing artifacts and ideas to foster curiosity and continual learning, forge connections, and inform our 21st century dialogue. Learn more at jacksonholehistory.org. Everyone, I really enjoy reading and learning from others, which guides me to share a little quote with you before we begin today's episode. Today's quote is, when it comes to human dignity, we cannot make compromises. And that comes from Angela Merkel. And today on episode number 202, I have the pleasure to interview Lindsay Dyer. Lindsay's a professional in so many areas of life. She's in extreme skiing or freestyle skiing, as some call it now. She is a strong advocate in women's sports. She knows how to survive on limited resources, being an outdoor enthusiast and skier, and finds ways to create opportunities. She is a dedicated athlete who has demonstrated women such as herself and other women that she speaks about are just as brave and talented as men are and especially in the world of free skiing lindsay shares with us the battles she has faced to be treated with fairness and why gear companies never treated women the same as a consumer group and what caused those gear companies to make changes so you'll learn a lot listening to Lindsay today. She has some phenomenal insights and some very strong passions about where she is in life and where life is going and what she's going to do next. Lindsay, thank you for joining me here today at the Jackson Hole Connection. It's great for you to take some time out of your busy schedule being a new mom mm -hmm. and business person. So I appreciate your time. Yeah, thanks for having me. Lindsay, let's start off by you sharing your story of where you grew up and how you became a resident of this valley of Jackson Hole. Yeah, that's saying a lot these days, isn't it? It's like yeah. the Olympics. Yeah, so I grew up in Sun Valley, Idaho. As a young ski racer, I was traveling to Jackson all the time, literally all the time. So it was kind of a second home. And the thing I always noticed was that the powder was always in Jackson Hole. And some of my best ski races were here. Some of my best memories of hooliganism as a as little kids like making just getting into trouble and and then also being kidnapped by my cousin who her name is aj cargill and she's a longtime resident as well you should definitely get some of her stories on here it, she's always just kind of been my hero she's kind of that the big sister in my life and she made it here in jackson first as a bartender and a skier and live in the dream. One of the first competitors on the extreme skiing tour, she won the tour. She was the first female to win the, the Alaska extreme world extremes. And 
then went on to be the first woman to ski the grand in telemark skis and she just had so many mm. of these first accomplishments she was one of the first to sort of expand the world of of free skiing and i she she like i said she kidnapped me from my races and and have me go jump off things in the backcountry, and and if she said I could do it, then I could, and and from then on, it was uh, she was a huge influence in my life, and she all the way as I was ski racing, she was always trying to get me to come to these extreme skiing competitions, and I was always kind of blowing them off, and finally, I I I saw what a special community it was and open and welcoming. And then I kind of turned everything toward that eventually and ended up winning the tour. And, and that was all because of my cousin. And I was living on her couch here in Jackson. And my first job was at the DOG down on Glen and slinging coffee and burritos and meeting the, the people that really live and make, make a life here from all the ski patrollers and photographers and carpenters that really make this town what it is and I fell in love with it I mean it, it, it was special from the very first time anyone who shows up here right like those Tetons never get old they are magical so everyone wants to live here <laughs> a lot of people want to live here in Jackson for yeah. sure I guess like the the thing that really made me stay though was finally getting an opportunity to ski with Teton Gravity Research and then finding a way to like I said just live on my cousin's couch and make it, make it a, make it a life. Good for you. Con congratulations. I'm, I'm very curious about getting off on a little side road here. You worked at DOJ, mm -hmm. uh, DOG down on Glen. You know what I'm talking about? Though? Yeah. Oh yeah. So, you know, it's predecessor was cafe two, four, five. And I think it was Becca who re brought that back to life after John Hall had closed cafe two, four, five. And I think he even came back a little bit. Did you work for Becca? One no. the, I think she was the first yeah, person. A couple started. of guys, other ski bumps. So when, when I was there, I guess like 2005 or six, six, seven, something like that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So when I moved here, there was this place called cafe two, four, five. It was at Pearl street, two forty five Pearl street, mm. right across the street from the post office where, um, Momo shack is now. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. And that's where that breakfast burrito started. And if you ate one, great. If you got two, I think you got your pitcher on the wall. So that's cool that you worked over there at DOG. That's mm -hmm. awesome. And so you went from ski racing into, would you say extreme skiing? Yeah, that's kind of the most general term that people somewhat understand. Mm -hmm. We also call it free skiing now, but essentially it's it's making your way down a mountain in, in the natural environment. And in terms of competition, you're judged on seven different criteria versus ski racing where it's only whoever is the fastest. And so for a creative like myself, it was a much better fit. I could actually take my own line down the mountain and really make it my own. Good for you. Yeah. And what's the biggest drop that you have landed? There's a couple in the Jackson Hole backcountry skiing for tgr the you know right out out of bounds there's the what's it called i have mom brain right now so forgive me it's the we call it the cave there cardiac cave up until i hit that there had been no females that had done it it's a double drop probably 60 footer over this giant cave and that was pretty fun to stomp on at that time i was really asking for legitimate skis 
for as a female and I had a ski sponsor and the only skis that that were in my size were these flimsy female park skis just really low quality and as much as I I asked it was ignored and and told that for in general women didn't want to charge as skiers and they were on the mountain for the fashion contest and for lunch. These are a bunch of French, you know, companies where a lot of this ski brand started. And and so I figured I would just charge harder to show that we did exist. And women did want to be out there charging just as hard as the guys and that we needed the right kind of equipment. So I had to train like even harder to just be perfectly centered on these flimsy little park skis that I was given. And same thing, then I went to hit the next year. People call it Fat Bastard in the Jackson Hole backcountry. That was probably a 70 footer. And again, I was asking for hard charging skis that could actually handle an impact like that and ended up having to rent men's skis from the rental shop <laughs> that morning to to try to have something that that could handle it yeah so it's kind of been my mission to to show that there are lots of women that that want to really get out there in a in a big mountain way and ever since then it's things have really shifted which is really cool and it's you're saying it's now shifted to where some of these ski manufacturers are making appropriate skis for women who yeah. are as at the level of skiing that you are. Yeah. And, and there's lots Good. of us. They're finally recognizing that 40% of all skiers are female and that women make up 80% of the household decisions in terms of, of spending and that we're not dumb. <laughs> you know, it used to be women just, just shrink it and pink it was, was the term that women didn't really need hard charging skis because they weren't getting after it in the same way. And they, they were all intermediate, which uh, they're finally understanding is absolutely not true. And so, yeah, now female skis are just at the same level that guys are. And, and even statistically, they're finding that women want the highest quality, maybe just a different graphic. So that's, that's certainly, I ski for Fisher now, and that is, that's what we do. We've made genderless skis, just a different, uh, different colorway. Good for you guys. Way to go. And also guys deserve pink, you know? So there are a lot that this pink ski that we made, it's just a beautiful ski. All the guys want to be on it as well. So it's pretty fun. My, I'm kind of a tightwad and my first and only backcountry set of skis were. You're not a tightwad, you're a dad. So everything goes to your kids. <laughs> yeah. Well, this before kids. I bought a backcountry ski setup and they're on Jill's. They were over at Teton Mountaineering and they were still in the wrapper, not drilled. And I was like, that's the height I need. I'll there ski on those. I love it. I love that story. We <laughs> need more care. stories like that. Yeah, yeah totally. Mm -hmm. Now, Lindsay, you have also gotten into being an entrepreneur. You've started a nonprofit as well, and you have a podcast and you you have a passion for creating wildlife corridors. Now you're a mom, so your life just got so amplified as mom. far as being busy there. Yeah. I, I'd love for you to share with, with folks what you're doing with your nonprofit organization and, and give us the name of it and and how this came about for making an impact that you're doing yeah so uh around when i was about 21 my best friend vanessa and i were 
on this magical road trip up to Canada. And we were on our way to go try to learn backflips on the glacier up there. And Vanessa was, she had been the collegiate captain of her soccer team. She was one of the best soccer players in the country. And I was always a less than great soccer player, but loved it. <laughs> loved the camaraderie, loved the sisterhood. And we were just talking about how how we miss that team atmosphere, that that camaraderie between women and and how competitive skiing is obviously an individual sport in, in terms of competition. And certainly at the pro level, it, it's always been there's room for one girl, right? One girl in the movie or one girl on the on the team. And so it, it sets up a highly competitive kind of ruthless environment in some in some ways. And, and we were looking to break that down and to make women feel more welcome on the mountains as they are versus, you know, the the way media shares imagery of women. It's either a sex symbol, ski bunny at the bottom, or you've got a compete directly with men and kind of be a man, right? And that was the path that I kind of chose was in order to build respect, I needed to compete directly with the guys. And luckily that's, that's I think that's really changing now. At the time though, we really wanted to grow our sport and to create that camaraderie in a safe place to play in the mountains versus having to be competitive and uh, and create sisterhood and, and make it a more welcoming, inclusive environment. So that was uh, the mission, the goal when we first started it. And now it has expanded to be certainly not national and international. And we have so many programs for girls ages six to 18 that expand far beyond skiing. And our mission is still to be inclusive and a lot of programming now to get uh, women of color out and lots of scholarships and, and programming. I would say our most popular program that that just sells out instantly is this is such a great story because it's it was really created by one of one of the little girls that was coming up through the program is junior ski patrol she was looking at a, ski, a female ski patroller and wanted to learn from a female because she was thinking maybe that's what she would be when she grew up and so we have this program that's all over the country where girls are broken up into different age groups and then brought through different uh sort of workshop environments, all led by female ski instructors, everything from rescue situations and and driving the toboggan with with other six-year-olds in them to CPR training and how to how to splint something to learning how to use our beacons. And the, I'd say the the most popular part is there's always like the dog training, right? The the rescue dogs. So girls really love that. And we find that the the men will often dress up in unicorn costumes and ski around the mountain offering hot chocolate. So it's a really fun way for girls to get exposed to the mountain and play and, and exposed to female mentors. But yeah, the programming expands to now fly fishing and bike camps. And it's really, it's really come a long way. I have kind of focused more on wildlife right now and to make room for more diversity on our board. So it's kind of taken off that way now, which is really cool to see. So you've moved off of the board after starting the organization. Yeah, we we have term limits. And so, yeah, so it is got to make space for to see where it's growing into. It's kind of like my baby's kind of growing into her own and it's time to set her free. <laughs> yeah, you had the vision, you helped build it and create it. And it definitely feels like a firstborn. Sure. I bet it. I bet so. <laughs> yeah. 
So it's, it's great to see that she really is on her own two feet now and, and doing good things in the world. And I do want to learn more about creating wildlife corridors, how that's your new passion. But before I, we it's get not there. necessarily new. It's, it's just one of those that I think we all kind of, oh, no, no, sorry. It's just uh, there's those things that we're called to early maybe in life and, and we're either told where we tell ourselves that, oh, I could never do that. That's too big. Like I could never, I could never have an impact in that way. So for, for really it's, it's kind of coming back to this, this big audacious challenge that I didn't think that I had, I, I, I could, I had the power to change at third grade when, when, um, I really felt this first calling. I'm curious to know during your path of you being a professional athlete in in sports in general, but certainly a sport where women were not provided the recognition and the respect, especially having the same tools to use, the same gear. How did that make you feel running into those barriers? And then how did it make you feel that once when somebody finally listened to you and, and they said, yes, you're right, and we're going to support you? to get you and other women the stuff that you need. What's funny is it just happened this year. I've been a professional for like 15 years. And this last winter was the first time that, and it wasn't that someone was saying, we're going to listen to you. It was someone saying, we've actually looked at the data of what the majority of women at the highest level, what they're on. So they were just finally looking at the statistics. It wasn't, it wasn't listening to me. And so it just kind of is just coming to be. How did it make me feel? I mean, I think there's always been another kind of turning point. This year has been the first since having this baby is the first time in my life where I felt like, oh, maybe women are a superior species. Otherwise, I think we're sort of conditioned to believe from a young age that you're at a disadvantage in every way as a woman in, in this world that we exist in. And there was an element of... I guess the other thing as a young girl, you, you learn very quickly that your value has to do with how you look, again, in a patriarchal society. And so it's something you're born with or you're not. Otherwise, if you are not the equivalent of beauty, you, you can feel it like you don't exist, invisible. And I think skiing allowed me to, because you're all covered up, it was the one place that I could be judged the same as, as a guy and often be mistaken for, for a guy. And if you talk to women, that is like skiers, especially that is such a, an honor to, to be mistaken as a skier for, for that. And there's a sense of power that comes along with that, that I felt at, at a young age that was, it was powerful. And so it gave me a place to, to feel like I belonged and could be on the, an even playing field. And so it just made sense to keep following it. Does that make any sense? It, it does. It, it makes a, a lot of sense. And and I'm still trying to get over the what you said that it took 15 years of you being a pro skier and it wasn't your voice it that changes. No. It, it was data. Yeah. And how just how sad that is. That well, uh, If you let yourself get caught up in that, you, you don't get anywhere, right? So yeah, I guess- Yeah, very true. So I just never let myself even go there because it's such an energy suck that I wouldn't get anywhere. There's so many sad things, you know, from heavy bullying, being uh, from boys that were 
threatened at a young age in, in elementary school or not elementary. Elementary is great. Like you said, that's when we know everything. They're the most confident in middle school all the way through college to to dealing with like hate on the internet now. Like I think that if you if you let yourself go there, it will take you down. And so I think that's a practiced skill of where you're going to put your energy. Well said. <laughs> well said. Otherwise, you would just cry yourself into a hole. Yeah. And you know, where you put your energy is so important and you've done it on so many platforms here. And I've interviewed somebody previously here in, in for Wyoming who they've been working on wildlife corridors. Ooh, who is it? As well. Well You'll have to whatever. connect us as well. Yeah, you're one it's through the Jackson Hole Wildlife Federation or oh, Conservation. And it's one of two hundred interviews. I mean, you're you're at like 203, 204 here. <laughs> it's yeah. it's tough to keep keep it all together. My apologies not to say that anyone is more important of who I've interviewed, but I will certainly connect you. I'm sure we know each other. I'm I bet you guys have, have <laughs> met for sure. Are you doing work locally, regionally, nationally, internationally in, in that work? Right now I'm I'm mostly trying to educate myself on what is it going to take? Because it's such a foreign, you know, it's a, it's a pipe dream, right? Just like the way making a movie was, where just sort of learning how, how it works, all the players, and because it is so complicated, you have to figure out how the states work and how the roadways work and all the groups that go along with that and their, the way the way they facilitate where, how money is spent and why. <laughs> And then public opinion. So really, it's it's been a lot of trying to learn the past several years. Essentially, I in driving the pass all the time to get to the ski mountain, I've encountered so many wildlife that have lost their lives. And at one time, there was a mama moose who I watched die over three days because the fishing game couldn't find her to put her out of her misery. And her baby was there and there was nothing that I could do. And I watched her die slowly. And then I watched her baby get hit on the road as well. And I just made this promise that I, I would, I would figure out a way to do something about this. And so it's been a, a long process, like I said, of like, all right, I can't just jump in and think that I know anything about how this works. I've just been really trying to meet the people who who do know and um, and figure out how I can best be of service with the skill set that I have, not being a lawyer, not being a you know working DOT and roadways. So you'll you'll see some big pushes coming out soon. But right now I'm still just just being a humble uh, learner. Well, thank you for learning to make a such an important impact in the wildlife and. Yeah, it's just crazy that people come here to see these special creatures and they're lying dead on the side of the road on the way to these magical places and no one seems to notice or they do, but no one says anything. And so it's like invisible. Well, we can certainly say in, until we have more wildlife corridors, a few things, drive the speed limit because there are animals on the road and put the phone down. Well, yeah, the thing is that there are studies that will will that have proved that speed limits don't change how people drive. It's really the this is this is kind of some fascinating statistics. It's it's really the engineering of the road. Yeah. People will go the speed that the road sort of dictates and and so that is 
an issue. And just, but the truth is that we just don't see them. Certainly late at night, they're dark creatures and, and our roads are virtually impossible right now because our community has, has grown by like 25% in the last two years even. So uh, these creatures that are trying to get to water or to mating grounds literally like can't cross the road. And when they do, they're, they're not making it because there are cars on them all the time. So it's not necessarily speed limits. All we know for sure is that overpasses and underpasses work 100%. And it's just a matter of implementing them in over, over the roads and making it a priority. It's, it's one of those things that's an easy fix. We just have to do it. A lot of things can be just an easy fix. It's just fine. Well, yeah, exactly. Like uh, global warming is, is this massive, like feeling like an, an overwhelming problem that doesn't have a, a solution per se. And this one has a solution. So yeah, it's nice to try to focus on things that we feel like actually can be made better. Mm-hmm. Hey, Lindsay, we're going to take a quick break to get a word from one of our sponsors. And then we're going to be right back to talk more about you and some of the cool stuff you've been doing. Cool. Teton County Solid Waste and Recycling estimates that approximately 3,954 tons of food waste are disposed in the trash right here in Teton County every year. This makes food waste the next frontier material in the quest to achieve our county's goal to reduce waste and recycle more, which will help us aim for zero waste. For more information on Teton County Integrated Solid Waste and Recycling's Curb to Compost Commercial Food Waste Program, visit tetoncountywy.gov slash recycle and join today. The Jackson Hole Historical Society and Museum, where we envision a community brought together, enriched, and strengthened by connections to the history and legacy of Jackson Hole. Currently featuring a special exhibit pioneer photographer, William Henry Jackson, presented with the National Park Service. Visit us at 225 North Cash Street in Jackson to see reproductions of some of the first photos of Yellowstone and the Grand Tetons taken 150 years ago. Learn more online at jacksonholehistory.org. Lindsay, welcome back. I'm certainly in, enjoying this conversation with you and, and learning more about you and your story. And I, I'd like for you to share a little bit about your business. You have Unicorn Picnic, and that's trips and gear. And it, it seems though you don't stop thinking of stuff to keep your time occupied. <laughs> Well, I think most of us that live in this valley, as much as it might sound like I live some fancy, luxurious life, we always have to be creating more opportunities to to find a way to live here, right? And I think one of the greatest things about living here is getting to share it with with other people and also share it in in a respectful way on behalf of the land and wildlife. So I love showing people around, certainly on the mountain, I'm guiding on the mountain and, and all the special places that make this place so special. And whether it's, it's showing someone 
plant that has medicinal properties to showing people where the wildlife are. I, I love sharing this, the mountains with people. And I feel like a steward of that and a responsibility to share that responsibly for certainly for people that are moving here and also visiting so that we, we all take care of these places that we all love. Now, you just touched on something that I'm interested to learn more. You're an athlete in the, in the world of skiing. Mm-hmm. And there's so many sports out there where you hear about the the contracts that the athletes are earning, receiving. But you, you know, adding to that, you just said that you got to find a way to you know different opportunities to be able to live out here. Where are skiing athletes? <laughs> yeah, on the right, right. on the yeah, spectrum. Of, We're sort of conditioned to to see baseball players or football players and think that those are millionaires living a glorious life. And I I somewhat love kind of the assumption that people make <laughs> that I, that I like that in some way. There there have been skiers that have probably made and snowboarders that that even that live in our town that have made like real money like in the millions. That is not so true for on the ski side, you know. A, a lot of, you might see people that call themselves sponsored, but they're just getting a free pair of skis or a jacket here and there. And that's a lot of how our industry works. It is, it is so small. It, it's, it seems bigger than it is, but the truth is it's a community and, and people love skiing so much that they will do pretty much anything to continue skiing. And that, that is something that I committed myself to recognizing that it put me in a flow state that I had never just was not like anything else. And it was worth pursuing with my life energy. So there's a lot of trade-offs that that you make in order to get the payoff. And in this case, the payoff is the skiing, you know? And so it's different than a football player or a basketball player in that way that have these giant audiences. And I mean, to be straightforward, I made less than the last year, less than the poverty line in order to c- continue keeping being the outdoors as a priority. And I still feel incredibly lucky to be finding ways to to pay the bills and get to represent the outdoors because that is what I'm here to do at, and figuring it out along the way. Often comes as a surprise. Most people think I'm just a spoiled rich white girl. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm breathless. I'm I'm speechless here to think that of what you made last year mm-hmm. to be able to enjoy your your passion for the outdoors. And and would you say so you said that you know some people say that they're sponsored so they might just be getting the skis or the snowboard. Is there a different level called being pro? Yeah, and, and that's like a that's a mixed it's always mixed, right? Because people that call themselves pro often are not. <laughs> okay. You know, if you're bragging about it, there's probably a good chance you're not. And at the same time, maybe, it, it, yeah, just the industry has shifted a lot, right? And especially in the since the pandemic hit, so many businesses have really suffered. The supply chain has really suffered, and 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 even just the culture has sh- shifted. A lot of brands are tired of seeing white people representing the outdoors and are looking to, you know, it's it's a bit odd, I think, these days. But, you know, I've heard so many times in the last couple of years, you know, we you're you're really talented, but we're really looking for a, a brown or black person. 
And in some ways that's great. And in other ways to me, that's even more tokenizing for, for people of color. And in any case, it is what it is. And yeah, sure. Maybe the, the world has seen enough smiling blonde, blonde girls representing the outdoors and it is what it is. So at the same time, like I said, supply chains have gone down. So there is maybe less need for representation of pro athletes and and influencers have kind of taken over. Uh, yeah, in the past couple of years, I've heard things like, yeah, we're, like I said, we're really looking for if you were if you were brown or black, we would love to have you. Or well, you're not quite. You don't you don't put enough modeling imagery up because you know as a female, if you if you kind of sell your sexuality, you you can get a bigger following and. And you're judged on your your Instagram following. <laughs> so I've heard that I'm not modely enough. I've also heard that I'm not hardcore enough. So, you know, you, you, things are shifting. And like I said, the payoff for me is skiing and being outside. And I will always find a way to make that happen. So, um, and, so And you'll get to teach your daughter how to be outside. Totally. And uh, so, like, I'm guiding these days. I Yeah, as, as you called out, like, just forced to be creative and i love being creative so i love that challenge i can see that you're up for any challenge i think i'm just lucky to to know what what i'm passionate about and i i'm here to represent the mountains and the the water and i'll do that that is that is an honor and i'll figure out a way to do that forever now being a mom now that you're a mom Mm -hmm. what's your thoughts of going off a 60 foot jump yeah, this is something that I have wrestled with. I was standing at the top of the steepest line I've ever first looked down two years ago when I was finally like, all right, am I going to make some space to to create life on this planet? And and just really asking myself, like, can can this be the last the last time that I put myself in in such a dangerous situation for my own seeking of can I do it? And it, I didn't. I, I skied the line and I just wanted more. And so I'm wrestling with that right now, actually, since being pregnant, which was really difficult because I, I couldn't be as active as I'm used to being. That was really challenging. And I, I'm chomping to get after it even more than I ever was, uh, which is a surprise. I was sort of assuming that I would get over it and want something different. If anything, though, I'm more committed and more focused, more grounded in who I am and what I'm here to do and be which feels actually really nice. And so I'm still wrestling with, you know, how much, how much danger is it okay to put myself in now that I, uh, something else is more important in my life than my own curiosity. And where I'm at with that is anything I've, I've done, even to this point, I trained and prepared so much for it, so much more than people would ever imagine. I, wouldn't have stepped up to it if I wasn't a hundred percent sure that I was going to deliver and that I was going to stop the landing. And so, and statistically, even I've researched this women in general, they won't step up for a big promotion, even un- un- unless they, they think that they have a hundred percent of the qualifications as where a man will step up for that same promotion or challenge when he thinks he has 50%. And, and this all goes back to chemicals. I've done a TED talk on it. It's so fascinating around risk-taking. And so when I think of the cliffs that are still calling me, I know that I will, and I, and I am, I'm studying them and preparing for them. And I will be 
120% ready to do that responsibly when the opportunity comes. So that's kind of how I'm looking at it. I was not aware of that. Yeah, it's fascinating. About the chemical. And you said that you did a TED talk on risk taking? Yeah, I just did a lot of this research onto finding, you know, skiing with female clients and male clients and seeing over and over how a woman will let you know all of her faults straight out the out the door. Oh, well, I'm not good at this and I'm uh, I'm not good at this and well, I, I I could never go heli skiing and and her husband will tell me about how great he is and how he he's got this and and then he'll take them skiing and she will surprise you almost every time. <laughs> And I saw this over and over and saw it in myself as well and started just doing the research of what is this about? And, and yeah, dumbing it down, it does go back to chemicals. Even as a young girl, young girls are being congratulated and, and patted on the back over and over for being good and, and getting the teacher's approval for sitting quietly in class. And so we learn at a young age that we're really looking for that outside approval and to be perfect. And if we if we make a mistake, we really take it hard. And equally, little boys at that same age are getting in trouble over and over and over because they can't sit sit in class, right? And so they are learning at a young age that it's okay to get in trouble and to be imperfect over and over and to, to keep sort of testing boundaries. And essentially that turns into women turn into people pleasers and, and then happen to be bigger risk takers in general. Well, I know for a fact that you are a much bigger risk taker than I. Well, what I'm trying to do is really fight that. To be honest, I'm still very much a people pleaser and, and recognize it. And I, I and a perfectionist and all these things. And I'm really trying to be conscious about stepping up to, to bigger risks, just knowing this on a, you know, a men- in a mental way. And, and it's really hard. And I guess that if I had a message, it would be that is just, what is the biggest thing you can think of now, like times it by 20 and imagine what that could be. Cause I think our, our biggest hindrance is, is not putting a potential goal out there. That's big enough for how capable we truly are in these bodies in this lifetime. We're always told about all the risks and all of the, mm. all the things that could go wrong. And so we tend to focus on those and, and set out for small goals when the mountains have really taught me that, that, we really are here to to break limits and we can once we allow ourselves to imagine that we could. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Well, Lindsay, I am inspired by who you are and what you're doing. And now being a mom, you will be a, a wonderful influence to your to your daughter and any other children that you decide to have in the future. Yeah, we've got to get kids outside and off of screens. So I'm working on that as well. Or, you know, how can screens actually help get kids outside if we if they're here for good? Uh, that's something I'm working on as well. So we uh, we give our children very limited, very strict and limited amount of screen time. So I'm so our, glad I think they uh, they are not on the screen that much. They're given two days a week where they're in the summertime. We give them a little bit more just because it's not so much school, but even then they don't get that much time. Good on for the you, Dad. Um, it's really important. When you hear people, you know, the the leaders of these big tech industries that don't let their kids have screen time, that really shows you. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah, as well as the EMF rays that are coming from all of our phones that that influence kids and, and young developing brains more than 
more than we know. So I'm trying to keep mine away from my little baby too. Hey, kids can still play with rocks and sticks and yeah, have and build really... a phenomenal imagination. Absolutely. And that's what they're made to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. So Lindy, if people want to reach out and connect with you, what is a way that you would like them to do that? Yeah, Unicorn Picnic is my my website and we offer, I'm an artist too, so we offer gear for getting outside and, and doing it in a lighthearted way, playful way. And yeah, so unicornpicnic.com and then on Instagram, I'm Lindsay Dyer, L-Y-N-S-E-Y, Dyer, D-Y-E-R. I'm really active there, love filmmaking and, and getting outside in all the different ways you can, whether it's lake life or mountain life. Well, and enjoy raising a daughter who's going to appreciate the life of being outdoors. Thank you and so much. enjoy your journey of being a mom and changing yourself. And I wish I, I appreciate you so much for mm-hmm. being an advocate for, for women in, in sports, for women in the outdoors and just helping women realize their potential. That's, that's beautiful. Thank you for doing it. I, I, I feel like I, it's my responsibility. So thank you for recognizing it. And anyone listening, congratulations if you're living the dream, which is to live in Jackson Hole. Whoop, whoop. Yeah. <laughs> you really made it. We all really have if we're here. And I look forward to helping as a community take care of our, our kids and, and our community and our wildlife. That's very kind of you. Very thoughtful. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Lindsay. Go enjoy being a mom for the rest of the day and we'll see you around soon. And I'm going to check out your TEDx talk this evening. I'm going to let the boys watch it. That, awesome. that I'm going to let them watch. Well, the one I was talking about is not not online. That's a different one. But but yeah, just that you, you should look it up just because it's a fascinating thing to to learn about. Okay. All right. Have a great afternoon. You too, Lindsay. Bye-bye. Bye. To learn more about Lindsay and her work on so many fronts, visit the Jackson Hole Connection, episode number two hundred and two. And thank you, everybody who to keep and thank you, everybody who keeps tuning in, and all of you new listeners. Get out there and share this podcast. And I look forward to seeing you back here for the next episode of the Jackson Hole Connection.